It is so good to be back with all of you. Pray for me this week. Tuesday, I'll head to Georgia doing discipler training uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And uh, Nathan's pastor from Texas is going, so Nathan will be preaching here, and Nathan's pastor will be with me in Georgia learning discipleship. So during the day, I'll be teaching the pastors about discipleship and how to implement it, and then teaching the church in the evenings. So uh, be in prayer for that. I'll drive home after the we're done on Saturday and uh, be ready for the ordination next week up in, uh, up in Michigan. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you have given us your word and what, what profound assurance we have. And so, Father, I pray that tonight that we'll get a little bit more understanding of what it means to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned this morning that I had gone through and wrote out with my fountain. Oh, this is a different fountain pen. Look at that. Ooh, look, it's different. And um, how many of you don't care? Just raise your hands. You just don't care. All right. I feel so sorry for you poor benighted souls. Anyway, um, I went through and I wrote out a bunch of the verses uh, about what, when the Bible says to believe, and most of the verses where Jesus talked about believing. Then I looked through the book of Romans, and I wanted to, I had looked up the, the verses on believe, and you know, there's believes, believed, believeth, and so we're going to go through tonight every verse from the book of Romans where it uses the word believeth and it pertains to salvation. There's one other uh, passage where it deals with eating meat offered to idols, so that doesn't apply to our topic. But we're going to look at every place in the book of Romans where it uses the word believeth, and it's fun. Almost every, there are seven of them, and there are six different ideas. One of them repeats. Isn't that cool? So let's start in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Romans 1 and verse 16. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Uh, sorry, I'm in verse 17. Look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So remember that middle wall of partition has been torn down between the Jew and the Gentile. And here in this passage, here's what believing gives us, salvation, salvation, to him that believeth. And that E-H, that's an active, You're, this, is, this is something that you choose to do. I, I mentioned, I believe in Sunday school this morning, that I've been um, somehow on my YouTube feed, anybody else addicted to YouTube? Okay, so on my YouTube feed, uh, Christopher Hitchens, Chase, you and me, buddy. That's right. So on, on my YouTube feed, uh, Christopher Hitchens stuff, you know, it's all debates. I like to watch debates. And so his came up in an interview that he had um, shortly before he died talking about cancer and his attitude toward God. And he said, uh, the, the interviewer asked him, well, what if you die and there is a God? And he said, well, I'll stand before him and say that your human representatives did not persuade me. And I hope that, that he'll be reasonable about that. He said, but, I, and I, I needed to look at it. I need to get his exact words. But I will not 
uh, bow. I will not be submissive. I will not be subservient. I've made that decision. I will not. And I said in Sunday school, want to bet? Do Christopher Hitchens' knees fall under every knee shall bow? And every tongue confess that he is Lord. He is Lord. And what's interesting is he hates God now. I promise you he's going to hate God for all eternity. Now, who knows? Man, I hope that in the last minute that he called on the Lord. And isn't it amazing that God's grace would extend to someone who has hated him for his whole life? God's grace would extend to him, but generally people die the way that they have lived. But what they say is, I've, I've heard atheists say this, I tried to believe. I had a friend from college, um, his brother told me that he said this, I prayed the sinner's prayer, it just didn't take. It didn't take with me. Um, well, you know, how many of you know salvation is much more than just the sinner's prayer? You, you, with the mouth, you confess, but with the heart, you believe. And we're going to look at that in a minute. That's one of our passages tonight. But um, this idea of believeth, that's an active choice on the part of the sinner, where you choose to believe based on the revelation of God and the drawing of the Holy Spirit. The amazing thing is God doesn't leave us out there on, a, uh, out there on our own and says, just believe without any reason to believe. He's given us creation. He's given us the light of conscience within us. And he's given us the light of the word of God. And someone like Hitchens, who grew up in a culture where he learned the Bible in school, where his parents took him to church, whether or not it was a strong evangelical church, he has had every, or he had every opportunity to believe, but he chose not to. And so what does he not have? Salvation. Because that belief, again, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Look at chapter 3, Romans chapter 3 and verse 26. This is a verse that I have in my notebook to memorize. Uh, it says this, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So we know that Jesus, or that God is just, and he justifies those who believe in Jesus. The, that active belief in Christ, when we choose to believe in Jesus, then we're justified, we're declared righteous. Not, that's what we get for believing. And again, it's like I talked about with church membership this morning. I listened to a little bit of my own message on the way here. And, um, and don't ever listen to yourself, you know, because I don't sound anything like I think I sound. My favorite story about that is Dalton Robertson. He was really into William F. Buckley, and, you know, he, he imagined that's what he sounded like. And then he listened to a sermon tape of his. And he says, I sound like Gomer Pyle. But for me, I just, but I was listening to myself and on the church membership thing, I was, I was pretty hard on that this morning, wasn't I? It just, it was pretty tough and I didn't realize I was it just, and maybe it's not quite that as hard when you can see my pleasant face, but listening to it, it sounded a little harsh. Um, but it's just frustrating. This is, this is church membership. Now, I understand taking time, making sure you agree. I've got, that's wisdom. 
Okay, I'm not a guy that's going to jump right in. If somebody shows me something from the Bible that's different than what I've been teaching, it's going to take me a minute to receive it. Y'all, y'all understand what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm not going to change what I believe right away. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to study, make sure that I agree with the Bible. So I, I understand all of those things, but church membership is this. And basically, that's what salvation is. Okay, Jesus, I believe you. I believe you. You're God. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. Please save me. I, I believe you. That's, that's what salvation is. And that's been called easy believism. How many of you have heard that term, easy believism? Yeah, it was pretty hard for Jesus, though. Or hard on him. It's so important that we understand that it is easy to believe if you're willing to submit. If you want to fight, it gets hard. It gets really hard. Think about Jacob fighting with God. Actually wrestling probably with Jesus. And do you think that was hard for Christ? Do you think that was difficult? It's like when you wrestle your three-year-old and you let him throw you down. And, you know, oh, man, you got me. Oh, Wouldn't it have been easier for Jacob just to say, I submit. I submit. That's what believing does. And the result of it is that we are declared righteous. Here's the interesting thing. So verse verse, uh, 26 again. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So I am declared righteous. All right? Not guilty. That's what justification is. But here's a question. Physically, not spiritually, physically, am I just? Am I righteous? No. No. Positionally, spiritually, absolutely. But he makes me perfect. He makes me righteous. He makes me sinless. He gives me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Isn't that wonderful? But, but the really wonderful thing is, is that here I am still in this sinful flesh. And God looks at me and says, righteous. Righteous. That's mercy. That's grace. And all I have to do is believe. That's it. I have to choose that active belief. I have to choose to believe. Look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. And this is so good. I'm using the term active belief. And somebody might say, well, that sounds like working. Well, look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So again, that justification, here we have the righteousness But this is a verse that, especially if you're dealing with your Roman Catholic friends, brothers and sisters, family, um, this is vital. But to him that worketh not, but believeth. To him that worketh not, but believeth. It's It's not faith plus works. It's just believing. It's just believing. It's so important that we see that, that my... My faith, the, when, when, I, when I believe, when I have that active, I make that choice to believe. Now, now this, is, this is fun. Believeth, that's not 
the passive where the, the Calvinist gospel is that God makes you believe. He saves you, and that makes you, that requires you to believe. No, this is where it's my choice. This is where God reveals himself to me, and I say, I can't do this. I'm helpless. I, I choose to submit that salvation. That's salvation. And that is offensive to the Calvinist. I just listened yesterday to um, a, a testimony of a guy named Paul Maxwell. Paul Maxwell, he, he, he's got his, his Ph.D. in theology. He went to Moody Bible Institute. He graduated from, uh, uh, he got his master's at Evangelical Divinity School. And I think Westminster Theological Seminary is where he got his, his doctorate. Westminster is a Calvinist school, and he wrote for Desiring God. That's John Piper's ministry. And he just put out a video saying, I'm no longer a Christian. And it feels so good. But what's interesting is his thesis was on um, abuse and victims of abuse. And it I don't know that this is true. It appears that he may have suffered some kind of abuse. But here's the problem. In the Calvinistic system, God wanted that to happen. How many of you might walk away from that kind of faith? God did not want, does not want a, a child to be hurt. What kind of monster are they worshiping? It's horrible. And that's where understanding that belief is a choice and that we have an awesome and terrible God who will judge the ungodly, but he's not going to hold children, babies. He... He's not going to abuse those. Well, what about in the Old Testament where they had to kill man, woman, child, and beast? What is that? I'm not going to go into it tonight, but there was a whole corruption of the seed. There was a whole, uh, the, the whole genome was, was corrupted and that all had to be wiped out. And the simple fact of the matter is when a nation turns against God, there are children that will die in the judgment. But as far as now, in the time of grace, when, when uh, God gives the opportunity for people to be saved and the gospel is there, it's not God's choice that a child is abused. These lies about God have ramifications. It's horrible. It's horrible. I'm so glad that, that faith is not a work, that I don't work, I believe, and then God gives me righteousness. He counts that as righteousness. Now, notice what it says again in 4 or 5. It says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Is your faith righteousness? No. It's counted for righteousness. You don't have any righteousness. When you believe, God counts your faith 
as righteousness. Do you see the difference? Y'all don't get as excited about this as I am. That is so cool. I don't have any righteousness. So I just believe and God says, okay, I'll call that righteousness. And the just and justifier can call that righteousness. I don't have any. God calls it that. Praise God. Now look at, this one's fun. Romans 9. Boy, we need to hear this right here so much. This is so important. Romans 9. Now remember, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is about Israel and the Jews and how God's not done with Israel. And Jesus is certainly a stumbling block for the Jews. Verse 33, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling block, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Ashamed. You know, I, I, my message for the last couple of weeks was holiness before the throne, the church before the throne. And we are going to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ. And I called Brother Knox and was talking with him about it, about this idea of before, being before the throne. And um, I said, talk to me about the judgment seat of Christ. And this is so good. Y'all are like this. He said, well, one of the problems that I have with, um, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but one of, the, one of the problems I have with the way Christians think about the judgment seat is in this life, it seems like everything we do is for other believers to see. Much of the Christian life is not for Christ. It's for other believers. Y'all know exactly what he's talking about with that? I feel like that's me often. I'm doing it for you, not for Christ. And I have to change that in my, in my thinking and my worship. And he, listen, he said, even at the judgment seat of Christ, here's what people are worried about. What other people are going to see them get or lose. Ooh. And, and I've heard sermons like that. At the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be a big screen and everything you've ever done will be put on that screen. And are you going to be embarrassed? Or if you appear naked before the throne, aren't you going to be embarrassed by all of the other people that are around? I'm just telling you, when you're standing before the God of the ages, when you're standing before the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to be worried about who's standing next to you or behind you. Here's the good news. When you are saved, there's no shame. There's no shame. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. Do you realize how much shame keeps people from serving God? How shame keeps people from giving others the gospel? Like I talked about this morning, is your house a, a, a spiritual house? What about your house? What about my house? Are they spiritual houses? And it becomes difficult to confront our adult children because of the shame of our own behavior in the past. It becomes difficult. I'm just telling you, as a believer, we have no reason to be ashamed. We're beggars showing other beggars where we found bread. Look, look at the verse again. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling block, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. This one's fun. And again, this is for the Jews, right? Remember? Verse 1, Romans 10, 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for who? Everyone? Who, for who? 
Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Ty, that's a good verse for don't be dumb. Make a note of that, will you? Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Have you noticed that believing and righteousness, they go together in so many of these? But what I love that he's telling the Jews, look, Christ is the end of the law. If you believe, that's the end of the law. How many of you are glad you're not under the law? And he's telling these Jews, you don't have to be under the law. It's the end of the law. It doesn't, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. Not one jot or not one tittle. They're not going to pass away until heaven and earth pass away. It's not going out, but he's going to fulfill it. And he has fulfilled it. And we're free for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Look at verse 10. Romans 10.10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So believing, and this is a in, in the lordship salvation versus easy believism uh, debate that happened in the, in the early 80s, this was the discussion. Is, is salvation mere intellectual assent? That was the that was the terminology that was used. Is it mere intellectual assent, or do you have to change your life in order to get saved? And what happens is you have an empty gospel with no repentance. Is repentance required for salvation? I'm doing this. This will help you with the answer. Yes. So is repentance required for salvation? Is it possible to change your life before you're saved? Here, I'm helping you. No. The Holy Spirit has to do that. Repentance is a change of mind. It's what the word means. That, that's, that's what it means. It means to change your mind. When God repents, he can't have done something wrong. He changes his mind. Did God change his mind from believing something that's wrong? No. Do you have to change your mind from believing something that's wrong? Yes. Yes. That's salvation. It requires repentance. The flip side is, um, this preacher came and preached in chapel, and his son had come to him and said, I don't want to sin. His son was an assistant pastor on staff. His son came to him and said, Dad, I don't want to sin anymore. And his dad said, well, now you're ready to be saved. And so I I sang the solo in chapel that day. I'm sitting on the front row. He he preaches this whole sermon. It's it's full-blown lordship salvation. I walked over to the main Bible teacher, who was a friend of mine. And I said, I'm... First, I made a beeline right at the end of this chapel service. I said, I'm, I'm confused. He said, I thought you were going to explain it to me. 
That guy happens to be in prison for 11 years right now, molesting a child. But not, not, the, not the preacher, the teacher. The preacher is one of the most godly men I've ever known. He was just wrong about this. Now, how many of you believe that God wants us to get to the place where we don't have that desire? Where we, what, no, where we have the desire not to sin anymore. How many of you think God wants us to get there? Yes. But I've got to tell you, when you read the life of the Apostle Paul, his awareness of his own sinfulness increased through his Christian life. The, clo- the, the, the greater your knowledge of God and his word, the worse you see yourself. And the greater God's grace and forgiveness becomes. We, we can't make salvation a work. Now, you can't get... This is... I hope that this helps you understand. I've had people say... How many of you know drunkenness is a sin? Okay, how many of you know drunkenness is a sin? All right. So let's say that you have a drunkard. Does that person have to give up drunkenness in order to get saved? Don't say yes. They have to believe in Jesus. They have to believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? But listen, I love that. Here's another side to it. What if they say, well, I'll believe in him, but I'm not going to stop drinking. I'm not going to stop getting drunk. That person can't get saved. How many of you see the difference there? It's all about your heart. It's all about your heart attitude. I'll ask him for understanding, but I'm not going to bow. How can you acknowledge someone as Lord without bowing? It's not his nickname. It's not King James LeBron moron. He might be the dumbest person in sports. You see all the politicians and newscasters defending him? Cops should have shot it in the air. How many of you believe in gravity? Any of you believe in gravity? You're so dumb. Anyway. So, belief is believing that you're a sinner, that you need salvation, that Jesus is God, that he paid the penalty. And you believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's salvation. Is that the gospel? That's the gospel. But if you say, Jesus, I want you and my sin. If you're saying, I refuse to submit. That's not salvation, folks. That's a very dangerous place to be. Is that clear? Okay, good. You guys, is that clear? Do you get that? Does that make sense to you? Does does it make sense? Yes, okay. Look at um, the end of the law. You have to believe from your heart. Oh, that's where I started. Believing from your heart, 10.10, it says, uh, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. It's not saying with the mind. Right? What, What does James say? Oh, the devils believe and tremble. 
It's not, it's not just about an understanding. You know, there are a lot of people that they know who God is, they just hate him. They know who Jesus was. Those Pharisees knew exactly who Jesus Christ was. And they rejected him. You see, believing has to be from the heart. And that heart is a heart of submission to who he is. It's more than just an awareness of facts. Uh, when I was a kid, they would say it that, that there are people, many people that are 18 inches from heaven. The difference from their head to their heart. That our young people, our kids have heard the gospel their whole lives. Every class, every session, we're giving them the gospel. They know it. At some point, it's got to get here. That's, that's the point. Then look at verse 11. This is one of my favorite parts. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, we have the believeth, and we have the ashamed again. Here's the part that I like, whosoever. It's not just those who are chosen. It's not for a special race. It's not for a special citizenship. It's whoever. It's whosoever. I love that. I just think that's wonderful. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Are you thankful that Christ has revealed himself to you? And that he gave you the wherewithal to believe. Understand that even the ability to believe is a gift from God. The, 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 the moral and mental capacity to choose or reject his, to, to his offer of eternal life, that is a gift and no man can come to the Father, uh, uh, can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He wants the whole world to come to him. And yet, according to the word of God, it's not going to be that many. Let's make sure we're part of that. Amen? Because it is an act of choice to believe. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word and the opportunity to study it. Thank you for this simple word, believeth. And how it, it is a choice that we make based on the gift that you give us. The gift, the offer of eternal life.